Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development and the people that make it happen. I'm Todd Gardner from TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring, and my co-host David Walsh, creator of the popular blog DavidWalsh.name. How's it going today, David? Good. How are you? You back from your uh, your big conference last week? Yeah, yeah. Back from uh, back from Kansas City. Uh, we did KCDC down there, which is a fantastic event, and then uh, finished it off with a PubConf which was epic, probably one of our best yet. Uh, we had about 200 people packed in a distillery. Um, a distillery is a dangerous place to do a pub conf <laughs> because um, they, don't, they don't price their drinks per, per, or per drink. They price it per person. It's like, oh, we're just buying this person all that they want to drink of liquor all night long. Um, which turns out to be kind of dangerous, but in a great way. Everybody had had a had a fantastic time, and we have our first ever PubConf two times champion. Uh, Lemon has actually won PubConf twice, which is now a complicated thing. Now I have to figure out like what is a what does a PubConf like triple crown look like, and do I make him like retire? And it's like a wrestling belt. That's what it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets the belt, and then I have to put him on the sidelines. All right, you're too good at this. You have to you have to give somebody else a chance. So, uh, you've spoken about this a little bit before, but what does what does it mean to win PubConf? What's the, what's the all right? Uh, what's what's going on with that? So when I invite somebody to do a PubConf, they have a five minute talk uh, that is. Uh, aggressively timed, like they have exactly five minutes to make people laugh. It's a it's a joke thing, right? They're, they're, it's comedy. It's technical comedy, but it's comedy. Um, and then at the end of the 10 speakers that I invite, I have some secret judges from the city that we're in help me pick who the best three people of the night are who go to be the finalists. The finalists get to do another five-minute presentation that I made. So they, they've never seen the slides. I give them a topic. The first slide usually even looks like it might be a legit technical talk. And then it just goes into basically what kind of animation or picture or whatever can I throw up on stage to make them freak out? And so it's improv. They have to tell jokes. Okay. So the audience just claps the loudest for who they think was the winner. And uh, uh, my buddy Lemon, who's here in Minneapolis, has actually won twice. He won both PubConf Minneapolis in May and now PubConf Kansas City last week. Can I like? Can I participate remotely? Can I send in some of my old code? Because I swear that would get the most laughs <laughs> from anybody in the room. Maybe even current code. I'm going to have to ask you to step up and get up on stage and show it off yourself. Oh. <laughs> That, that's more horrific than uh, getting a random image or animation. All right. Well, we have uh, a guest with us today. Uh, Christina Duravage is joining us. Uh, she is a front-end engineer and builder of all these amazing, like, cool uh, hardware projects like the tweet skirt and the sash and the LED umbrella and a bunch of stuff. She's constantly tweeting about it. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much. So how we typically kick things off is with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this crazy industry thing that we do. So your origin story, where did you come from? 
So my dad's an electrical engineer. Uh, so he was always, I remember when I was very young, he would always try to get me to understand electrical diagrams. And like back before like Arduino and hardware became pretty easy, like became easier to use. I, I just, you didn't really see the point of it. Like it was very hard to say like, okay, I have this thing that's slid up now, but I can't do anything with it. So um, my mom taught me to sew when I was younger and my dad taught me electronic stuff. Uh, eventually I, I stopped being stubborn and learned it kind of when Arduino started coming out. So I, I went to college for computer science and got into hardware kind of after I was settled into my first job. And, uh, like, I just, I remember what happened was I was sewing on the kitchen table. My parents, uh, live, used to live here. And so I, I just had everything, for whatever reason I was over there and I was sewing the kitchen table. My dad's ever like, have you ever thought about putting LEDs in that? And I was like, I don't really know how you would do that. And so it, it became this kind of bouncing ideas back and forth of like, he'd be like, oh, you could do this. And I'm like, well, you know, that wouldn't be washable or you'd have this problem or that problem, or how would you get stuff to flex correctly? Or where would you put batteries? And we, um, we started like just dad and I came up with like this, just plant, like the, the dumb LEDs, the two wire LEDs, like a, a matrix where you could send stuff in and it was kind of flexible, but you just, you didn't really want to do, and it was pretty like, uh, it wasn't that robust. It was going to break that basically we did it, but we started then kind of growing off of that with LED strips, um, that were a little bit more like the, the smart LEDs that can be any color that you want. Um, and then just different kinds of uh, hardware to go. And eventually I, I learned enough that I was kind of able to go go my own and start experimenting on my own. So I don't have any kind of formal education in, in electronics or hardware or anything like that. I just, I know a lot about LEDs and if it gets out of that, I get a little, I have to do a lot of Googling to figure anything out. But um, that's kind of how everything got started there. And I've been playing around ever since. Awesome. So that's how you got into into hardware. What about on the software side? Oh, software. Yeah. Anyway, the part that actually pays the bills. The, uh, I, um, well, my, I went to school, Winona State University, and they had just kind of opened, uh, they had like their computer science degree and they started applied computer science degrees that were more like specialized. And so I was the first person to start this applied computer science, the human, human computer interaction. Uh, where I didn't have to take like operating system design or some of like the super low or like the lower level ones. I still had to take like a PDP 11 class or whatever, but, um, and so, yeah. And we would take a couple psychology classes instead. And so I, I did all of that. And then, uh, of course, then my first job where you use something like this is, uh, programming and mostly SQL, uh, because that's the most, that's where you use your user friendly stuff. Uh, just kidding. But, uh, so Anyway, that's, uh, I started that and I've just been doing kind of um, different sorts of very data heavy, um, but building um, like uh, web interfaces on top of pretty data heavy uh, applications, like stuff for warehouses or stuff for um, public schools and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, the thing is though, is like I, when I started going, like when I was in high school, I really wanted to be an artist. And so I was trying to find like you get into computer science or whatever. And for, I was missing that creative part uh, a lot. Uh, and so when I was able to, to figure out how to kind of funnel that creativity into doing a hardware project or something that you could do interactive, you could play with, um, have people interact with hardware. Uh, I, that's, that's filled that for me. So you can still have your, your mm, more boring day job and, and then have like a go home and dink and uh, dink around with LEDs. So 
it's really been it's really been fun to have that kind of both both sides there. Awesome. So you've gotten to play on both the uh, the art side and the computer science side in kind of a little bit of both your day job and kind of at night, right? Because you get to play in the in the UI. It's a little arty, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all create. It's all problem solving. Um, and even like I, I joked around about SQL and like not being like the most creative, like where you would imagine creativity. But if you have um, if your schema is pretty complex and you've got like an old system and you need to figure out how to make something fast, there is an element of creativity to that of just like figuring out how to solve a problem. Um, so, yeah, but it's been it's been fun. I have seen some creatively bad SQL written. Like, <laughs> how could we do this in the least efficient way possible? Uh, let's put JavaScript in the database, and then we're going to pull it out and what? interpret it, and then push it into the HTML. You've seen that? Yeah, I've seen oh that. my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Moment of silence for <laughs> yeah, that's frightening. Well, it's, you know, it's dynamic, right? We, we put all the dynamic parts of the website in the database so that you don't have to think about them. I don't know. This was, <laughs> the, the whole thing that happened this week about the, uh, the guy putting the eval statement for a job like that would go and send your NPM credentials to uh, the, or it would just eval a paste bin. So he could, I don't know. That was, it just reminds me of that, like, Run it, being able to eval any sort of JavaScript from some random paste bin was just like, you can do that. Wow. How about that? <laughs> we should do a whole show about like the crazy stuff that you, we've seen in production. I, yeah. I, it's just I like you have your, your regular hacks, like your actual hacks, and then you have the hacks that people sort of inflict upon themselves. <laughs> we'll, we'll have beers that show. But I, I'm excited that Christina's here <laughs> because I want to, I want to become a hero to my five-year-old and two-year-old. And I think if I did some pretty cool, you know, hardware and JavaScript stuff, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my experience um, in this realm, I'll, I'll call it that, the only thing that I've done is I ordered a Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, everything I needed to get it plugged into a TV and um, created a recall box and a retro pie so that they could play the video games that I used to play um, yeah. <laughs> what all you needed was a Raspberry Pi. Um, so let's talk about, like, where did you start? Um, you, you mentioned your first experiment with the LEDs, um, but more recently, when you sort of gained your, your web development expertise and your school expertise, where did you start so that people know that they can sort of start the same way? Mm. So you're wondering about how I started, like, on the web dev side? No, more so, like, what were your first ex- experimentations with JavaScript and hardware? The first, like, when you when you started bringing things to life, yeah. so to speak. Well, it was basically, like, um, I had, like, I, I, I moved up. I gradually added more and more LEDs to a project. Um, the first, like, LED skirt that had something that was interactive was a, it had a little, like, I think, 8 by 10 LED array on it, a little square, and it actually like, it wasn't connected to the internet or anything. It had a little joystick that went up to the belt, and then like there was there's a wire that went through the belt, and you could kind of the the belt had this like like comically large little fake bow on it, but you could undo the little bow and take the the joystick out, and there was a Tetris game on the skirt that you could play. <laughs> and so um, I brought this to I think Minecon 2013, and 
it was very apparent that like, there's no way to make that not awkward. Like you basically have to kind of stand there in like the, your leg kind of bracing the led array out. So it doesn't move around and people can see it. And then, but, and people are a respectable distance away, but they're still, still kind of staring at your like upper leg area. And like, I had opted into this. So I was like, you know, let, let's figure out a way to make this interactive in a way that, people aren't like tethered to you so <laughs> i imagine that that was prelude to some awkward interactions of hey i'm going to stare at your legs for the next five minutes while i play a game of tetris yeah and i i mean i had invited them into it so it's fine but it was still just like all right let's you know move this like we have the technology to move this make this interactive and so um that's where like the I wanted more LEDs. I wanted to have text that scrolled and having text try to scroll on a very small LED array. Um, it's hard to keep track of the letters that are displaying. Uh, so I got like a, I think it's 32 by eight instead. And then it's like, well, what kind of text would I want to display on this? Like where would be a good way for people to not to effortlessly interact with something like that? And so um, the tweet skirt came from that, uh, just letting people tweet to either the hashtag or the tweet skirt user. And then um, there's a curation system in place because it's Twitter. And so how that would work is I would log into a site, one of, like a site that I hosted um, and look at like all the tweets that had been kind of queued up were there and I could either say decline or accept um, and then have it get sent to the skirt and show. And so from that, like that was fun. But the problem there was um, lag from because you send the tweet, it goes up into the system, I have to queue it up, or it gets queued up there, I have to accept it, it has to get queued up to actually display, and then it displays. And I was then looking like, well, this is fun, and it's nice and interactive, but there's like this delay that people don't want. And so that's when I moved to the sash that does uh, off of text messages. And I figured with the sash, I would only bring it to like, places with a mature audience that, you know, and then people are a little bit more uh, they want they want to guard their phone number. They don't want to do like their phone number is more tied to their identity. So they're a little bit better at not doing complete garbage. Um, so, yeah. And then that doesn't have anything. I don't have to interact with that at all. It just goes right to the sash. So <clears throat> before we move on to other things that you've done, I, we need like a. What is the hardware stack that you're using for this and what software so I use for all of these projects a thing called the Particle uh, Particle Photon. So uh, Particle is a startup that started here in Minneapolis, which is very exciting. And the the great thing about the Particle Photon is, so you write, you have to write, I mean, you can write it in, I think they have their own ports to other stuff, but you write it in wiring, which is like the, the C-based language that you use for Arduino. Um, but so you write a function of hardware code to do a thing and you do like particle dot function, and then you name it something, and then that exposes it to the particle cloud. So then you do a rest call that's a post or a get or whatever, and you can get data. Uh, like if you have a thermometer, you can get temperature data out. You can send function call or call function from an API call, and then have that interact with hardware that way. So that was like, um, you know, as someone who's like a web engineer, or like who does web stuff all the time, you just like, you know how APIs work and you can interact with it like that. And what I, I like a lot about that is um, you, I can uh, keep that separate. Like I can write all of my hardware code and then I can write my API or my uh, server code that interacts with it and I can debug them separately. So, yeah. 
but and then having that like that communication happen between the server and my hardware um, taken care of with the particle cloud is like that's I don't want to have to maintain something like that and it works really really nice. Okay, and then a particle photon. I just looked it up here in Amazon. It's it's I guess it's similar to a Raspberry Pi. That's like the the board and the you can add components to it and stuff. I would say it's more similar to an Arduino. Um, okay. Like a Raspberry Pi is a full computer. Uh, so you have to plug in a monitor and a keyboard and you have to give it an operating system. And to have it have the Raspberry Pi work with the project, you have to con- configure it to, to try to be as efficient as possible. And an Arduino is a lot simpler. It has pins. You plug it in. You program it to do the pin, like to interact with the pins, and it just does the thing. You don't. There's no operating system. Um, there, or there's less of one. I'm sure there's something that runs under the covers, but you don't have to think about it. It's just, it's like it's more of a like a device than it is a com- like a whole computer. Okay. And the photons more like that. Awesome. So so after this wildly successful tweet skirt, <laughs> what what was next? Like, I, what? How did you ramp up? It was just, it was the sash mostly after that. Um, and then um, uh, I wrote a book chapter about the sash and I've been doing other stuff. And I like my next thing that I really want to do is of course, more LEDs. Like there's always got to be more LEDs. You always uh, got to put more lights on things. More lights. Yeah, absolutely. More lights. Absolutely. Bigger batteries. Let's make it. I'm not uncomfortable anymore with this stuff because there's, I don't have a bunch of batteries. So let's fix that. Uh, and have a ton of batteries and ton of lights. So um, I did like the, the, I made, so there's a, a podcast called the adventure zone and there's a character in it that has a magic umbrella. And I wanted to cosplay this character. And I was like, I can put LEDs and things. So like, let's try to make an led umbrella. So the umbrella has a bunch of LEDs in it. It's not connected up to anything. It just does little um, like a pattern of colors. Um, so I built that. Uh, that was fun just to try to be like, um, really stretch like a non-traditional LED environment and try to get it to fit in there and figuring out how that worked. Um, and I think um, that I've done little, like smaller projects here and there. That was kind of my last really big one is the, uh, the Umbra staff, the umbrella. Um, and then the book chapter came out and I completely documented how to do the sash. Um, we can link that later. And I think that's kind of it. I've been doing a lot. I also bought a house, so I've been doing a lot of house stuff, which I can't talk about. It's really, it's really boring, but you can't talk about, or you <laughs> no, shouldn't I, talk about. Because I probably it's really shouldn't because it's super boring. I'm imagining a house of LEDs. Christmas at your house must be the best. I so I started that, and then it. I don't know. I I needed to put. I I didn't really have a plan, uh, and I put LEDs up, and it looked kind of sad. And so then, um, I don't know, I have to rethink, I have to rethink my, my LED plan for my house. Yeah, I'm imagining a grid of LEDs that completely covers the outside of your house like a paint job. And so you yes. just, you change the color of your house by just hitting it, like, by tweeting, I want my house to be blue today, and they all just rotate, or they yes. go with the seasons, <laughs> or, and you put noise activator, so when somebody, like, really loud comes down the street, it just says, fuck you, asshole. Well, yeah, oh, like, I was going right. to say, <laughs> It's not well, you're, you're nicer than are, you're nicer than I am. Yeah, well, it's not real <laughs> until the neighbors are complaining. So, <laughs> but yeah, I will. I do want to do more more LED like light Christmas light stuff. I just I don't know. Last year I made an attempt and uh, then quickly gave up on it. So, okay. So you mentioned with your your stack of your project that um, 
you're using Particle, you write some services in the cloud, you write some code in the device itself to, to turn it into the device that you want it to do. But I think you said you do it in C, right? It's a version of C. Uh, they So I don't know actual C. Um, I This is just kind of what I've gleaned from other people talking. Um, but wiring has, like, wiring is the language, and that was the language that the Arduino sort of got popular on. And I think they abstract some of the complexity away, and there's um, different functions that you can call in wiring that make it uh, a lot more streamlined for doing Arduino or calling pins and that kind of thing. Uh, and it, that's the reason why Arduino got super popular is just because you didn't have to learn all of C to do a thing. You could use wiring and learn a little bit. Like you still like the language is still um, a little low level, but uh, you could kind of you could kind of go at it uh, and don't have to learn the whole entirety of the language. Now, I think I heard about um, some tools that you can use to write JavaScript actually on those low-level devices like NodeBots, and I think there's another one. Yeah, Cylon, I think it is. Yeah. So why was, was that just didn't work with the particle, or was there some other reason why you just didn't want to do that? So it works in the particle now, last I checked, to be honest, I don't follow the note. I follow them kind of like I'm. I'm happy for the stuff they do. I don't, but I don't know the all the new hot news from the NodeBots community. But uh, I, they do have stuff now where you can run NodeBots on um, the particle system. Um, but for me, it was just about like, well, like when I started, it wasn't there, or I didn't know about it. Uh, so and. I run into enough problems debugging the code that I've got that's in the language that it's sort of without that abstraction layer on it. Uh, that for me, like to to write it in that C or in that language to figure it out and debug it, um, that's what makes sense for what I'm doing, I guess. But I, I should really look at it again someday. Uh, it's really nice. It's great for for teaching. Um, you and you can write your full thing in JavaScript, and you don't have to try to balance two languages. But for me, since I'd already kind of gotten used to it with former with other programming and like I know how to debug it pretty well, I just never really needed to. If that makes sense. That sounds like exactly why I never got into CoffeeScript. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's cool stuff. So I mean they have um boards out there now too, like the Esperino, I believe, is one where you you write JavaScript. The Tessel was one that was like that, um, and those are just those were special uh, microcontroller boards that you would use and write uh, write JavaScript or I think Lua on them. Um, and then the other stuff is like the NodeBots and everything else, where there's a thing called Fermata, which is like you write, I'm going to screw this up probably, there's a really, really great talk, um, which I can send a link to later, uh, that explains all this stuff. But uh, like Fermata is like the full low-level stuff that runs on the Arduino. And there's JavaScript libraries that you write JavaScript, it exports out to Fermata, and then that goes on the Arduino. Um, and so that's how that all works. Uh, but yeah, I just, I haven't really followed it much because like I've already figured kind of out my whole the whole thing that I used to build stuff. So, and do you have a do you have a blog or do you have resources you can recommend for where people can sort of learn this to get started? I mean, the the Arduino kits um, that you can get online that kind of have they start you out with like blink an LED or here's a temperature sensor. You can get data back from it, and then 
you know, make the LED light up if it's super, if it's hot or cold or whatever. Um, I really like those and I recommend them a lot. And I think just the thing that's missing, like when I get, when I first started hearing about this stuff, I didn't get very excited about it was, so you build something on a breadboard and you've got a light on a breadboard and whatever, and you have to, it's super, uh, like fragile. And if you try to bring it anywhere, like your LED might fall out or it might break or something and it sucks. And so, uh, the thing to remember is like to cut yourself a lot of slack in the, that process of getting used to using some of these components, because once you have the foundations going and once you know how to light up that led and how to make like components talk to each other, you can put that in anything. Like I worked with uh, my friend Jerry on a kitchen, like we bought a, I bought it off Craigslist. It was some super pink frilly, like kids, kids kitchen. And we, there's like one of those uh, play sets for, for yeah. kids where they get like a pretend oven and easy bake like that. oven, that sort of thing. No, I didn't have any component. Like it didn't do anything. It was just a plastic fake mm-hmm. thing. And it was really cheap, which worked out well because we hacked it apart and like cut everything apart and we put sensors in it. And like all of that game is, is everything that comes in those Arduino starter kits of like touch sensors and little switches and lights and whatever. And it was just hot gluing a lot of the thing, like drilling holes and hot gluing stuff in place. And we made a game where like the kitchen would tell you different things to do. Like there is uh, like a row of different like ingredients and like the light underneath the ingredient would light up and you had to put that on the pan or you had to turn the, like the little oven thing on or whatever. And um, there's like a little internal timer on the Arduino. And then once the time ran out, it would see how many points you had. And, like that's all stuff that comes in those Arduino starter kits. It's just when you're getting like when you get started, it's usually because you have an idea in mind or you have some sort of goal that you want to get to, and you'll get there by starting with these kits. It's just like don't worry when your when your first couple projects or the first couple things you do look like they're gonna fall apart. Like that's just temporary. You can once you get that kind of going, you can put that in whatever form you want to do. It's just hot gluing stuff in place. So. In fairness, I've been writing software for like 20 years and everything I write looks like it's about to fall apart. So, <laughs> so that's very good advice. That's very good advice for sure. So uh, on, the, on the server side of your projects, you build like, um, you, try, you said that you try and put like most of the logic in, in the cloud somewhere, you know, handling requests, stuff like that, which totally makes sense. Um, what do you use there? Like what, how, do you, how do you put that together? Um, so... I try to make sure that what I sent, like the stuff that's on the particle is just assuming that like, I don't want to do like air checking on the particle. Like there's just not that much space for it. So like I just, and you don't write any bugs. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, like I just assume like I will send the photon a string and it will display that string. And on the server side, that's when you get input from Twitter and that's where you want to strip out all of your bad characters or when people try to send you poop emojis and it's like, well, that's not going to work. But, um, and you just want to make sure that on the server, it takes care of all of like talking to other services. So like the TechStash uses Twilio, the TweetSkirt uses a Twitter API um, and just, uh, and just send stuff to the, to the particle APIs um, as, you know, what you would want to show. Uh, and the, so the, I, all of the projects use an express server. Um, there's a public 
uh, facing website for a lot of them. Oh, I forgot to talk about the pixel bot too. That was another project. Um, but for that one, so the pixel bot, I, so the, the sash was let's speed up text. And then the pixel bot was let's speed up interactions. And so the pixel bot is this little, and I don't have this on my portfolio either because I'm terrible, but it's this <laughs> little, like, I think four by five LEDs on this little toy robot. And you pull up a website and there's four by five little black dots on the screen and a little color picker. And so you color, you choose your colors and then you poke at the dots and then those LEDs light up. And that's me trying to get that as fast as possible. Like it still has to go up to the cloud and then go back down. So it's not instantaneous. Like when I bring it to Maker Faire, these little kids, they just start poking on everything and that doesn't really work that, that great. But um, yeah, so it's always an express server with some sort of public website if I need to have some sort of interaction for something and um, some sort of process like process that will monitor like Twilio monitoring, looking in for new text messages for t- uh, Twitter, looking for new tweets. And uh, I use Forever.js to keep them running. Um, but yeah, and then uh, Amazon Light Sale for everything else. So what would you say... Are there any differences between when you're building one of these little express servers for your fun projects uh, versus how you would write stuff at, at your day job? Like, like, how do you think about these? Are they, are they different when you're just doing something fun or do you do the, the same way on both sides? No, like, um, I like, I like the frameworks, whatever. I like them for a big, the big apps or whatever. There's absolutely, I mean, it'll be, it'd have to be one hell of a project to get me to, to load up React or Angular for one of my personal projects. <clears throat> it's like jQuery. Get jQuery, get it in there. Just, you know, what is it? Uh, bootstrap, fine, sure, whatever. Make it, just make it run. I don't want to, like the stuff that is boilerplate or getting stuff, you know, running, I just don't care about it for my personal projects. It's not fun. Um, I want to make LEDs light up. So um, the the way of thinking is very much um, much more streamlined to just sort of doing the one thing. Because all of these, like all of the servers and the hardware stuff is usually just a single task. And it's just converting stuff from one API to another. It doesn't need to be, need to have all that stuff. So I'm sure lots of unit tests on those personal oh, yeah. projects. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It needs to have uh, all the nines. <laughs> all, all, the, all the nines. All the uptime in the world for TweetSkirt. Yes. Can't have that go down. Millions <laughs> depend on it. So how did that... So which side were you developing first? Did you start on art projects first? And and then you and then you started like professionally developing, or was it the other way around? Like, where did you start developing first? Um, it was a lot like you need to have confidence of a develop as a developer before you can really start getting artsy with it. From for me anyway, like, um, and I did a lot of data visualization for a while too, and that was also a pretty good bridge between, um, like. I was working with data, like, like applications with a ton of data and data visualization in D3 was a really great way to, to kind of start thinking about like, this is not just data that you put in a table and like do stuff with. It's data that you can have mapped to pretty circles that interact with stuff. Like when you click on something, your data underneath changes. Um, so it was development first. 
and then getting confident enough to be able to be more creative with the code that I was writing and the projects that I was doing. That's what you asked, right? I think. Yes, that, okay. that was exactly what I, I was asking of like, was, <laughs> did you build like some artistic projects while you're going through school? And that's what, you know, gave you the passion to get into it professionally. Or did you take that knowledge professionally and then apply it to art? Gotcha. No, I mean, like I did art in high school. And then when I started doing computer science stuff, it was like, I mean, to be honest, I did not do really well in college. My first couple of years, it took a couple of years for it to click, uh, for programming to kind of start. There's a lot of good bars in Winona. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't even that. Like, to be honest, I like I <clears throat> was just struggling for a long time and I wasn't old enough to drink and I was too boring to cool, I guess. But um, once I started understanding my classes and it stopped being just a big bummer, then I could, I don't know, I started making more friends too at that time. And I don't know, everything sort of kind of came together a little bit better for Christina. <laughs> but the first couple of years were rough. So and then yeah, but I didn't do any of that I was focusing on. Well, I mean, at the bars in Winona and also my classes. So so life hack from Christina, stop being a big bummer and life all just kind of comes together. Yeah, I th- yeah, life had to stop being a bummer, which I don't know. I think it's just growing up. So, so you mentioned like you mentioned jQuery, you mentioned React and Jest. Like, how has how have you seen the the web world, the front end world, change over your time as a web developer? Uh, it just seems like I I don't know. When you think about it, like what was I doing? when I graduated in 2008 and like, what was the scope of my job then versus what is the scope of my, what was the scope of my job then which versus what's the scope of my job now? And I think because there's so many tools now to make it easier for um, the front end developer to really get into deployment and to get into, you know, it isn't just like this, like the, here's a, our JSP page that you will put, you know, HTML into, it's like you write everything now and you take care of the deployment now and you do all this stuff. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen everything, the, the way stuff changes, you just have your response. And I was, I mean, it could just be, I've gotten older too, and I've transitioned from being a junior developer to a senior developer, but I, it just seems to me like there's a lot more tools out there to really make sure that the web dev or that the front end dev is like in control of their entire like the delivery process and everything. You guys see that as true too? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. And I, I still wonder every day if it's harder to get into front-end development now or easier. I mean, like back when back when I um, started, for the most part, it was like the, the days just before jQuery and MooTools and like the, the original framework days. And that was like revolutionary and it was such a joy to work on those tools, but they were just like drop in libraries. Right. Right. Yeah. They weren't build tools. And it seems like now we write almost as much JavaScript for tooling as we do that actually goes out to the page. Um, And now the frameworks are very, um, what is the word? Prescriptive. You need to do things a certain way. We're worrying about stuff like, typing with flow or TypeScript. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's easier or harder. What do you think, Todd? I think um, in a lot of ways, the scope of what we're all being asked to do has gotten a lot bigger. 
Whereas when we when we started, it was about, hey, I want to build some interaction on this page. So let me slap in a script tag. We're going to bring in some jQuery. We're going <laughs> to put a little date picker in there. We're going to make this happen. And we didn't really care about anything else. And and now there we we care about like the optimization of the page, right? So we we bundle everything down to make sure we're delivering as little as possible. And we care about the the environment itself. So now we're doing like DevOpsy stuff and like how was the configuration of our server? And then it's not just about like does you know Netscape and Internet Explorer render this page correctly. Now we have lots of browsers that have their normal interpretations, but then also accessibility things like just because I made it look right, does that mean that everybody can get at it? Mm -hmm. uh, my page get attacked via these different angles like we talked about last week. Do I need to be caring about content security policy and how my website is going to be like uh, exposing user information? I just think we have to, we're being pushed into this in a direction where the web is so important, where it probably wasn't as important 10 years ago that that we have to care about a lot more. And I don't know if maybe that means that our industry needs to get start specializing. I don't know. It's hard. There's Can a lot stop, going stop on. Specializing even more. I'm, I'm a Webpack uh, developer. <laughs> well, that's already <laughs> happened. Like I hear people talk about themselves as angular developers. Oh, like, sure. They yeah. know angular. They only know angular. Like if you show them like JavaScript without angular, they're like, what language is that? I don't <laughs> How do I get access to the scope? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. For new people, though, like, because I don't know, every, it seems like every few months on Twitter, something goes around about just like, oh, I guess another framework was released. Like, JavaScript programming is so hard. And it's like, you don't need to embrace everything, though. Like, as a new person, when I talk to junior developers, it's like, you don't have to think that you have to know all this stuff. Like, you'll learn it. But if you go into a job as a junior developer and they expect you to know all this stuff, like that's on, that's on them. Like just take the pieces that are just take a piece that makes sense and get good at it. And then you can kind of add on to that, but you can't expect yourself to be able to get dropped into this and just know everything right away. Cause there's a lot and you don't need to embrace, I mean, you don't need to embrace every new framework all the time. You can just sort of, I don't, I don't know. That's something that doesn't go away. So, for example, I joined DevTools like six months ago, and it's still like the, the sucker punch that you get when you jump on a project. And you're like, I'm going to be great. I'm going to do all the things. And you like jump into the code or the, the new tools or frameworks, and you're like, you freeze for a minute. You know, you're like, oh, my. I don't yeah. think that, that – that doesn't go away, but I also think that that's really healthy. It's healthy to – you know, it, it's like when a performer who's been singing for 30 years says they still get butterflies before they go up on, you know, like that's healthy for you. That's good for you. Um, but if you let it paralyze you, it can be terrible. Um, speaking of like summing up, you know, the skill set that you've gathered in both your, you know, your work life and then your, your, um, I was going to say fun life, but that's weird. You're, you're like, <laughs> your, like your fun dev experience. Um, how has working in hardware or outside the traditional browser server like sort of shaped the way that you've thought about being a programmer, shaped the way that you've thought about coding? Uh, like the thing about hardware that you have to kind of get used to is like there's this whole other like 
area for things to go wrong in. So like your code doesn't compile or something like you restart your computer. It still doesn't work. All right. Well, it's not the hardware. Like all you do for your hardware side for your code is like restarted and maybe something was cached incorrectly or whatever. But um, you can have bad USB, like you can have bad USB cables. You can have, you know, you buy some of these components and from cheaper sources, like maybe the components bad or, um, I was trying to build a thing where I could walk down the street and it would map out the wireless networks it found. And I had built it and I had everything like working. War walking. War walking, yeah. And so I had a photon and a GPS thing on the same, like a half breadboard, like just a little, little thing. And uh, the GPS module was working on a regular Arduino and the particle was working independently but when i had them together and i could not figure out like am i wiring this up wrong i was like looking at the library i'm trying to figure out debugging the thing just the gps court well like the thing about debugging is the gps module is set up to just do a thing so it handles talking to the satellites in space or whatever it's just supposed to hook up there and then send data to the microcontroller you plug it into and i'm like going out of my mind because I can't figure out what the deal is. And uh, like when you're new and before you get a certain amount of confidence, it's always, I'm doing something wrong. I don't understand this. I'm completely out of my element. This sucks. I'm going to throw everything out the window and just, <laughs> just go back into the forest and paint. But what it ended up being is, so I had it on a little breadboard. When I put it on a big, big breadboard, it was great. Worked fine. And it was uh, an interference issue from the GPS uh, trying to get satellite connection and the Wi-Fi signaling of the photon. And like how, like that isn't something that comes up too often in computer software. So I think the main thing that it kind of taught me was just Your like. Your CN says is breaking the JavaScript. Yeah, what next is going to on? Each other. yeah, if that ever happens, like, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, it just, it, I got a lot more like, okay, so this is not, I mean, cause you still get, you know, we laugh about it, but there's still bugs that you get in your code that are just like, I literally cannot comprehend what is going on between point A and point B here. Like what, like you break it down and you want to blame yourself because that's where I'm always at. But like, it doesn't, you know, just because it's hard or whatever, it's not you. And it could just be a bajillion other things that are wrong. And it's just trying to, I think it really helped me say like, here are the two parts that you're trying to connect up together. Like, what is it that's happening between this where something could be going wrong? Um, and just giving myself a lot more confidence when you try to do new things like experimentation. Um, Cause no matter what, you're not going to electrocute yourself with JavaScript. Well, maybe, but it'd be very hard. And if you, you might electrocute yourself uh, when you tinker around with hardware. So uh, giving, there's a lot more confidence that you get when you start um, playing with a lot of new things. And if, especially if you don't have an electrical engineering degree, there's always stuff that can happen. I imagine after debugging an issue like that, where it was literally like there was interference in the universe preventing this thing from working. I needed to move it like a few inches apart and then everything was solved. And I I spent like days and I was like, I was on the forums. I took pictures like, and you know, the people there are smart, but they're not going to really think about wireless interference. Like when they look at your, like if someone had run into it, they might've called it out, but nobody then nobody there had, so they're just kind of like, I don't know, it should be working. And everyone's like, it should be working. And I'm yeah. just like, it's not though. But yeah. But the day you figure it out and then you go back 
you go back to work in this nice, easy playground that we live in of software only, where the universe isn't out to destroy us. You just must feel like a superhero. Like I can do anything. I I can fix hardware bugs. Software bugs tremble before me. Yeah. Well, like all the asynchronous stuff. Like my the the main thing for the longest time, and it's getting a little easier now. But like asynchronous stuff in JavaScript. Like when you first start doing data visualizations and stuff isn't lining up right, it will drive you absolutely bananas. And now it's like, well, bring it. I don't know. I can figure this out. So <laughs> that's so, awesome. I spent all day working on an async intermittent bug and oh, yeah um, those are the worst i'm just glad that someone else mentions that it's okay to struggle because i did not feel good about myself yesterday no and it can be i don't know i've i feel like i've taken a step back some of the stuff that i end up like having issues with it's like christina you should have figured this out years ago but it's just in a different context it can really mess you up so oh and another thing is you learn so you get like with hardware, you get learn who to get good advice from, which is, you know, you get good advice from the community and everything like that. But you also learn who unintentionally is giving you maybe bad advice that you should ignore. Like when I, uh, well, this was actually for the kitchen project. I needed a, like a little thing that spins a servo. And I went to, and I needed it fast. And this was, I think, before Amazon started really selling this stuff. And so I went to a hobby store. And because my dad had said, oh, just look at a hard hobby store. And I'm like, OK, so I'd gone there and I asked the guy behind the counter at the hobby store, like, are the, the servos that you sell for these RC cars the same that you would buy for like an Arduino project? And he's like, no, they're different. And like previous Christina would be like, oh, this employee, this knowledgeable person has just told me that these are different. Like, I guess I'll be on my way then. And I'm like, OK, can I just see them? And he shows them to me. And yeah, they're the exact same thing. Like, they're just... But, you know, the hardware and store modern doesn't. jaded Christine is like, he works at a hobby store. He doesn't yeah. know shit. Well, it's just, you know, <laughs> different. You know, he doesn't have to know that stuff. Like, he doesn't have to know about Arduino <laughs> stuff. So, but, yeah, it, it, you kind of, I guess I haven't gotten that as, like, like a, as uh, cut and dry in that in, in software. But, you know, you have to learn who you can get advice from and who maybe doesn't have all of the information to really help you. That's a very political way to put it. <clears throat> <laughs> this is a live podcast, so I have to watch the sass. I said I was going to have some hot takes on here, and I'm really, I'm really giving off some lukewarm, lukewarm takes. All right, so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another opportunity for a hot take. So Ooh. you mentioned, you mentioned, you just dropped uh, a book, right? Yes. So we, I dropped the link to it out in in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a number of people have either written books or have thought about writing books over the years. What is your experience? Was, was it good? Was it bad? Who did you work with? Like, tell, tell us the story about writing, writing a book. So the guy who edited uh, John Meischel, he's in Minnesota, and he approached me like four years ago saying like, hey, I want to put an LED book together. Why don't you put up the sash or the tweed skirt? And so I'm like, that's great. And we, we went around to different publishers. Like, I think I feel like I had written it, but did a chapter. Basically, this book has been in development for about four, three or four years. Um, and that's not, I'm not going to blame anybody. It's fine. Whatever. That's my get another lukewarm take from Christina. But uh, <laughs> Christina's lukewarm takes. Yeah, take that. But um, I would recommend it. It is super rewarding. Like, 
uh, my dad texted me a picture of the book because he I told him that I, I was going to get a couple copies. I'd just give him one. He didn't need to buy it. And he he texts me a, like a picture of him holding the book. And he's like, will you sign it for me? And there's nothing like that is the my I don't know. It was the cutest thing in the world. So anyway, there's nothing that beats that. And like for all the three years of sort of being like what ended up happening is it got dragged out and no starch has a very um, like a, a long technical review process. I think that's someone told me is longer than other publishing places. So they, they really have someone go in there and try to build the projects in the book, which is good. It just takes a while. Um, but for all of like, you're never going to get an experience like seeing your own stuff, like on in like a book. And that's really, really fun. Um, I would say, money wise, like I'm glad I'm not, that's not my main job is writing. Um, I, maybe it's different for other people, but for, I only wrote like a chapter in that book. So I mean, that's the part of my cut isn't that good, but, um, just know that it'll probably go longer than you thought. And then for that time, you're sort of like on call a little bit with it where like the editor would come back with, Hey, I have another round of edits. Why can you review them? Um, and then it would be like, months from the last time they asked. And so it's kind of, and then they'd want it in like a few days. And so I was pretty good at being like, how about instead of on Friday, I will give it, I will have the weekend to look over it and do it Monday. And we could usually come up with something like that. But the, the most part was the, the timeline was longer than I thought. Um, and uh, you do have to kind of be on the hook whenever they want you for something, um, which sucks. Cause you, it, a certain point after like a few years, you're just kind of like, just whatever. I don't care. Just write it. It's fine. You know, the pictures are fine. Get it out there. So definitely do it. If you want to just kind of know that you're probably going to end up being more annoyed than you thought going in. It's not like a quick process. (laughs) (laughs) That, that is the best endorsement ever. Definitely do it. If you want to be annoyed that the process take too long. What I mean, is it worth it? Yeah, now that it's all over, I'd say it was worth it. But it was a lot of, um, in the meantime, like if you would have asked me like a year ago at this time if it was worth it, I'd say no. But having that book now is like, that's pretty awesome. That that is some pretty good cred of being able to show up with a book and be like, look, I I I made this. Yeah. Are we allowed to swear in here? Probably not. I'll be good. You can you can do what you want. I yeah, this we're not edit. I swore, I swore already. <laughs> it's up to you. We're just right. putting this live on YouTube, and there'll be like eight people who will watch it. But it'll be sweet. Well, I just said the f word to eight people, so I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not though. I wrote this book, motherfuckers. That's great. <laughs> that is so becoming a gif and going on Twitter. <laughs> All right. I think we are wrapping it up. So as per usual, we're going to go around and kind of talk about um, what maybe one big takeaway from our conversation is. So David, why don't you go first? My biggest takeaway, I'm inspired. My kids, you know, they, they, they played the, the Raspberry Pi for a good 10 minutes before they got bored. But I think with... Daddy, these games look crappy and old. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, I don't know, I, I walk away from this being inspired to do, to, um, I want to say take a risk, but being electrocuted isn't the risk. I want to. You're not, I, you're not going to let it keep yourself that bad. It's fine. <laughs> that bad. Um, so one of the excuses that I made to myself forever while the raspberry pie I bought sat on the shelf for a year. 
It's like, I'm not a hardware guy. I don't have the confidence to do this. I don't know how to do this. And the, the day that I pushed myself over the edge to do it, I had the RetroPie up and working in 15 minutes, right? Yep. So it was like a mental barrier for me. And I think that, that talking, having Christina talk us through, you know, some of the, her early work and how it sort of progressed and some of the stuff that she did, um, I, think, I think I'm ready to push myself into doing something new. So that so that I can be a hero to my kids for like twenty minutes this time, <laughs> um, I think that they'd love something like that, and I'm ready to try something new with hardware. So thank you to Christina for inspiring me to push myself into um, to doing this. And so I'm gonna give a, a piece of advice real quick. Sorry to interrupt, but um, people ask me uh, a lot, especially like dads who are looking to get their daughters into tech. And my advice is always like find some the kid is already interested in and see if you can build like think of a project that kind of goes along with their interests already. Something that will make that interest better or easier or more fun or something that kind of does that. Because if you can show them how technology is good to augment something they already like to do, um, that's that's awesome. But I don't have any kids, so I'm talking out of my ass a little bit. But like that's how it works for me like an led pokemon something and now it, now i'm not pushing myself into it i'm out i'm out <laughs> how about you todd what do you learn today well well first i want to see you bring like put your money where your mouth is beginning of next week's show you're going to bring us your your uh your project right you're going to do a little show and tell my wife is out of town this weekend so i'm going to be wrangling come out <laughs> 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 I'm going to go to the store and, and bring in something that was very, an LED thing that was very obviously purchased. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you? Still, it's still got some like made in China tag right, on the right, bottom. Yeah. Like, uh, no, it's this totally DIY, you guys. <laughs> you guys, I made this. This is that. Look. Um, I love when people in software get into art and like make technology into art i think that is super fun when people are when people do that i love i've loved watching like the different um projects that you've made over the years um unfortunately i never got to actually play the tweet skirt i think that was a little bit before we met maybe uh but all of the all there's a reason it doesn't really come out anymore it broke a lot like the the sash is a lot more robust so yeah you get better as you go but maybe maybe there should be a um a tetris sash I could do that. Ooh, ooh. The, the, the code's all still there. It's all on GitHub, so I can make it happen. So if you I, wouldn't mind sending me that so I could show it on the show next week, I would love it. The, we'll and just, it but yeah. just anything so I can I can prove to uh, Todd that I actually did something. Oh, I, I see. Quite I, obviously didn't I'm not, do. I'm not sure how Christina's shipping you the tweet skirt and then you showing it is going to win anything because I know it exists. Oh, I just thought the idea of like, I would send him a video and he'd be like, I took this video and it would be like, just obviously like, a, you know, like a cat walks in front of it that you don't have a cat or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Christine is obviously in the background of this video. This is, no, <laughs> no, that is not going to work. I'll send you all the videos, but I'm going to watermark all of them because I know what's up now. Damn it. <laughs> All right, Christina, what, what's your one big thing that, that is your takeaway from the show and anything else you'd like to plug before we wrap it up? 
Uh, no, I just, it makes me happy to know that everyone else's jobs have been getting, the, the scope of them has been getting bigger and it's not just like what's been happening to me. It's like everybody's gone going through it. So we're all in this together, you guys. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> we're all in this together. Yeah. All right. Uh, where can people pick up this book with your chapter in it? It is uh, nostarch.com slash LED projects. Um, and there's a link out there. It's available like ebook or print. Um, yeah, and I think that's really it. I mean, everything that I have is on my portfolio at portfolio.gelicia.com. Um, you can see some of my past work there. I'm going to get a thing for that put out into the chat as well so the other people don't have to try and remember that and type it out. I will get that posted here shortly. All right. Well, so thank you so much for taking an hour out of your day to, to be with us. I think this was a great show. Yeah, thank um, you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to have L Waters on the show to talk about web accessibility and a bunch of stuff that you probably shouldn't do in your HTML. I think that's going to be another great show. Uh, we'll be back next week at our regular time. Until then, I'm Todd Gardner. I'm David Walsh. Goodbye. Thanks so much for joining us. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.